Hello and welcome to Game On Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. This week, we take on the topic of female ass kickers. That's right. You know you love them. <laughs> we know we love them. <laughs> female heroes, often with a heart of gold and always ready to throw down for a good cause. Uh, female heroes are not a new trend by any means, as you'll see from our list that we're both going to share in the show. Um, their popularity and the sheer number of ass-kicking women in popular culture has all but exploded in the last few years. Yeah, the, I got the idea. We did an episode back, um, episode 26, where we talked about our childhood heroes. And I thought, you know, at some point I wanted to go back and look at an adult right. list. And it kind of got spurred by an article I saw on Wired Magazine's uh, homepage, which actually was published two years ago. They have kind of a classic section. And it was Geek Culture's 26 Most Awesome Female Ass Kickers. Uh-huh. And I wanted, I looked through their list and of course, some of them I didn't know. And most of, most of them I did. There were a couple in there. I'm like, Ooh, she's cool. I've got to find out. <laughs> That's always nice when but articles I, like that give you inspiration to go check things yeah, out, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. I loved, I loved having the new, new ideas because some of the, the artwork was really cool. But anyway, so I thought maybe that what we could do is number one, come up with our own list and we'll just do a list of five. We'll just limit it to five. Only but five? Then, just kidding. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to shuffle. Oh, me maybe. too. I went through like three or four times and it's like, oh, let's put, uh, wait, oh no, but yeah. 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 But then I thought either along the way or at the end, we might try to um, kind of analyze ourselves and do some comparisons against our own gamer mm. types. Like I'm mostly a self gamer type and see if there are any correlations whatsoever in the type of um, ass kickers that right. we kicked. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. anyway, why don't you go ahead and get started? <laughs> All right. So I'm excited. I am, I am so excited, excited too. It's hard, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, this is great topic to talk about. And and one thing I want to say, and this, we, the, you know, we're focusing on on pop culture uh, characters here, so we're talking about science fiction and uh, movies and books, etc. There's plenty of ass kickers in games as well, and that might be a follow up show that we can do where we talk about our fam- favorite female ass kickers. I was actually on a podcast. I should do a quick plug here. Um, I, I guessed appeared, I guess, hosted on um, a podcast called Pixel Response a couple weeks ago, and they just aired it this past weekend about uh, gender roles and female gender roles in games and sort of the evolution of female characters in games. So um, definitely check out Pixel Response and check out my appearance on their show. And I'll make sure to to link to them on, on the website as well. So my first is probably one of the first heroes that I ever sort of identified with, um, and it's Princess Leia from Star Wars, the original Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. The movies that I watched and rewatched on Betamax. Oh, God, if that doesn't date me, I don't know what does. Uh, when I was a child. And we actually used to play on the playground. We used to recreate the movies. <laughs> Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> Me and my girlfriends, and we all used to just run around and um, and recreate our favorite scenes over and over and over again, like almost every day at lunch for I can't even remember how long, a long time, or at least it seems like a long time in hindsight, so it was probably a week. But <laughs> So what's appealing um, with Leia as an ass kicker? Well, I love her strength, uh, just her, her belief and her strength as, as a woman and as a diplomat. And she takes her role as leader of her people very seriously. And I, I think that that's part of what has always attracted me to her and her, and her spunky personality. I mean, she never took crap from anybody including Han Solo who you know was at least for me the bad boy that I loved in that movie <laughs> yeah. yeah she she faced off she she would go toe-to-toe with any male in the in the movie she went toe-to-toe with Darth Vader and with Han Solo and you got the impression that not only did she have confidence in herself but she 
and this is stretching it, I know, but that she was used yeah. to that in her Absolutely. position. Absolutely. Not, not that only that she was used to it, that she drew her power from it, that she, she drew her uh-huh. abilities yeah. from knowing that she could stand toe-to-toe with Darth Vader or whoever sort of came up at her. And, and there was a certain righteousness to her position now, now, I don't mean like overly righteous and that she's always right, but she she was driven by her inner belief in an external way that like she didn't say it, you know, oh, I'm right and this is the right thing to do. She just did the right thing to do. Right. Yeah, I've got a couple of characters on my list that they're the ones that I am the most passionate about. And that's part of it. That- They've got a, they've got to me, got an additional depth from just being able to wield it. Exactly. And, and the conviction they hold behind it, I I think is really super powerful and, you know, and fantastic. And, you know, there's just so much I could probably go on and on. Um, I never did dress up as Princess Leia for Halloween, you know, have dressed up as some of my other, um, uh, heroes, but I never did the, the dual cinnamon bun haircut. Um, yeah, no, I did Darth. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Yeah, I did Darth Vader. We, I, I had a friend who was a, a rabid Star Wars fan. And he was one of those that went to the theater to see Star Wars like 40, 50 times, yeah. you know. I remember he heard that in the news. And he spent a lot of time constructing costumes and stuff like that from the movie. Yeah. And he loaned me the Darth Vader helmet so I could go to school as Darth Vader. And it was it was so totally awesome because nobody had a clue as to who <laughs> I was. It was fantastic. And when I took the helmet off, it, it just everybody fell out. That's it was fantastic. Great. What a great story. Well, who's your who's your first pick? Well, I have to say that the the article influenced me uh, quite a bit in this pick because I had never thought about picking this character before. Um, it is Lisbeth Salander from the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series by um, Stig mm-hmm. Larson. Um, but I had to. I, I remember reading the book and I read the book and watched the movies. I I, I think that I can. I can include those both together at the same time. They were great depictions. Um, So much admiring her strength and courage Mm -hmm. and going toe-to-toe with pretty much anything and anybody, and especially supposedly being visibly diminutive. And in the absolute weakest position that she could possibly Mm -hmm. be in, she was a victim of every possible system in mm-hmm. her life, but it, she didn't. She didn't gain courage from that. She was already courageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's what I get from the story, the backstory. Right. And for the most part, what I just admire her strength. I admire her never being, never seeming to be afraid of anything. Although she was right. obviously, right. she was very afraid. But I, I really admired her intelligence a great deal. And being able to solve any problem that she came up against. And in the mostly in the exact instant that it was necessary. Like there's a scene where she's going through a subway and uh, uh, some thugs start hassling her and w- want to steal her bag and, and, and give her a hard time. She doesn't hesitate. She immediately fights right. back. She just jumps in. She, she jumps mm-hmm. in, she, she takes her stand and she's, she basically says right up front, no, mm-hmm. back off. This is not going right. to happen. And she is prepared from that instant on to back right. that up. And to, and to stand tall with that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there, there's no posturing with her. Um, now again, you know, Lisbeth is a very, very damaged mm-hmm. character, but I just appreciate her being able to put it on the line like that immediately up front and then being able to back it up despite what the limitations everybody seemed to say that she it had. It seems to me she has the same sort of um, righteous power that, that Princess Leia has to a degree in a different form and for different reasons. Yeah. But that same sort of, you know, I'm right and my convictions are right and I'm going to stand up for, for myself and what, what needs to be stood up for here. Yeah, and she struggles mm-hmm. with that because you really don't see that. I mean, Lisbeth, 
for the most part is an extremely selfish character mm-hmm. um, to the to the extreme until she encounters a situation where she sees that there may be someone else who may have been abused as brutally mm-hmm. as her and was never justified, right. never had the chance to right. fight back. And she puts herself into that situation in her own way. But for the most part, up until then, she's she's been, well, she's had to be extremely selfish mm-hmm. about it because she's had to put every bit of her, her energy into protecting right. herself, who's no right, one has. Right. Like I said, every system's right. Failed. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a lot to stand up to for any one character. <laughs> and we're talking about from a very mm-hmm. young age, yeah. too. There's a lot of backstory to mm-hmm. Elizabeth, and she's had to do that since she was uh, a mm-hmm. child. Uh, which is even more mm-hmm. tragic that she's she's had to be that courageous for right. so long. So what about your number two? So my second choice is um, a very surprising recreation of a very well-known character. <laughs> yeah, this one surprised me. I saw your list and I was like, <laughs> if If you haven't been watching Once Upon a Time, I, I highly suggest that you do. It's in its second season right now and... It is just exploded with with fantastic storytelling. And I think I, I tweeted this recently, but if I could do research for any television show, I would want to be doing research for Once Upon a Time because they just have some of the best fables and best stories that they're retelling. So in Once Upon a Time, the basic premise is that all of the story storybook characters have been brought in real life to a town in Maine called Storybrooke. And they're living sort of dual identities where they have their their character from from the sto- the fairy tales and then their in-person persona. Well, my favorite character is Snow White from Once Upon a Time. And her other her alternate identity in the real world is Mary Margaret, which I mean, has another uh, sort of co- connotations going on there. But mm-hmm. the show is beautiful. I, you know, first first off, the the production values are just outrageously cool, and I think I've mentioned that before. I covet a lot of the clothes that the characters end up wearing. Yeah. But Snow White as a character and is in in the Disney movie and in the original fairy tales, which I'm familiar with, is a very diminutive character. She um, she's very passive. You know, she is appreciated pretty much for solely for her beauty and her goodness. And that's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to dismiss those characteristics in any way. But for me, I've always been more drawn to characters that are outwardly powerful and active in their power. Now, Mary Margaret or Snow, the Snow White in, in the stories that they tell in, in the, fairy, the fairy tale land of Once Upon a Time wields a bow and is an excellent shot and goes on the run from the evil queen and, you know, is wearing pants and furs and, you know, able to kick butt and take care of herself uh, because she has been put in a situation where she's been ostracized and sent out from, you know, from the castle. And the storyline with, with Prince Charming is completely different from, you know, he just finds her and kisses her and wakes her up, which is, again, very passive uh, activity, even though that does happen. But they've are, they're already in love long before that happens. So anyway, um, she's just fantastic sort of recreation of a, of a story character. Well, is there anything unique about her that appeals to you personally? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> it, Snow White, the story of Snow White and the, and the Disney um, movie are among my mom's favorite movies ever and, and are ones that were stories that were told and retold to me growing up. And so I've always appreciated the character for that. Uh, to see Snow White as Mary Margaret become this powerful, empowered, I should say, character is really affirming for me because, you know, it's, it's, you know, really easy, I guess, to to sort of just say, oh, she's so pretty. She's so good when, you know, all she does is stand around and sing with the birds and, you know, fold clothes you know, tend right. to the dwarves as, as she does in the old, in the old story. And she does all those things in the new story too, but she also has, you know, a will and a power of her own that she's drawn from. She very much values family and I won't say why you'll have to watch the show to know why family is so important to her and how that becomes sort of a theme that she's carrying and she embodies as kind of 
the quote unquote matriarch of the good guys in the in the story. And she still has all that beauty. I mean, I can't I can't think of the name of the actress that she's played by. Um, she's still absolutely gorgeous and, you know, dark hair, pale skin and the whole, you know, the whole nine yards that we know from the original. But um, the fact that she can have that sort of empowerment is very that is the personally enriching part for me where I can see a character that I appreciated for one aspect in a different story I can see in a different light now is just fantastic. She's gained more depth. Oh, we have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, someone that was pretty much kind of two-dimensional is now getting all these beautiful facets that... You know, that's yeah, it is, cool. and and that is true of all of the characters. And I mean, they're reaching like you know, uh, Captain Hook is in it now, and he's fantastic. And the giant with the beanstalk. I mean, there are, you know, the Mad Hatter and the Queen of Hearts. I mean, they're just pulling from everything, and it's just such a mashup of all these fantastic stories that we all know, retold in you know beautiful design and color with storylines that have great amounts of depth to the point where god i can't tell who the bad guys are anymore which i kind of love and i kind of hate at the same time so (laughs) yeah well you know you recommended the show earlier in the year and i actually i sat down and tried to watch it and i guess i watched two or three episodes and i was just like you know i just i couldn't get into it it seemed kind of light and fluffy but you know what the i'm seeing that with a lot of new shows You've got to give them time to get yeah, off the ground. You have to give, I think most shows, most shows that have a great amount of, amount of depth, at least in their storylines, start with sort of a slow build toward it. Yeah. The writers are really taking their time and they are very particular about their craft and you've got to give them the space to that, put all those facets in there and not, and not rush it. And it makes it very hard to get a new show to, kind of kick off so i'll go back and read it out all right so who's your who's your second choice uh my second choice is ellen ripley from aliens the second movie was i think the second movie was the first one i saw oh really missed the first one you missed the initial um i'm pretty sure because i wasn't that much into it at that time and Aliens, I think I may have seen with my husband. I'm not quite sure I, I, whether I remember or not. And I know that the very first one kind of freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as it was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was so much more uh, cerebral and moody. And so when the action did finally pop up, it was just so incredibly violent. Yeah. yeah. That it was, it was kind of, it was kind of shocking. Another but. movie with a slow build. Yes. yes. Oh, but yes. beautiful, just be- beautiful. Um, so one of my absolute favorite uh, sci-fi series, if not the favorite. Um, Ellen Ripley. She is one of the more well-rounded characters. Um, Elizabeth has some depth, but what you see in Ripley is a very not necessarily very average person who's put in extraordinary situation. Mm-hmm. Um, she basically works on a salvage crew. Um, she's very good at what she does. She's comfortable with what right. she does. She's um, turns out to be a, a good leader when things need to be done. She's a very good decision maker. She works well with others. <clears throat> she's considerate of others. And especially in aliens, you see uh, a maternal side of her that is, um, gives her courage and strength, which is not a weakness for her mm-hmm. at all. Um, it actually helps them survive. Yeah, uh, yeah no this, doubt. This maternal mm-hmm. state. Um, she's she's a, a a really good fighter, hard worker. It, she's more of an everyday person. Now, by the time you get to aliens, Ripley has has changed a lot because she's already experienced this traumatic thing. And it really defines her life. So she's not as much average anymore. <laughs> but watching her, and this is a pretty old movie, so hopefully I'm not doing any spoilers to anybody, but watching her stand in the middle of those alien eggs, holding a child and this giant-ass gun and facing off another queen... Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. There's just so much power and courage there. And it's like, I'm going to put it on the line here. And she's really smart mm-hmm. about the situation right. too, which I right. really love. You see emotion when she thinks she has lost the child and she's just, she's driven by all this. It's just a, a really beautiful picture of a female. Well, yeah, it, it takes so much of what a lot of society would deem as female weakness and turns it turns it against itself, right? Where yes, very very right, well done. Where yes. where those ideas of of women are the quote unquote. Now I'm not saying this, of course, the weaker sex because of their tendency to love and the tendency of motherhood to create protection as things that don't make them as strong in terms of warriors really get turned on their head in that scene and especially in that moment. Um, that and that construction of that image and the reason why it has that power is because it's taking an idea that we've we've had and sort of turning it on its head and, and that, as far as I'm concerned, is some of the best storytelling we could ever have. Yeah, this yeah. is really great. We'll start us off on number three. So my this is another one that I'm hoping will be a little bit of a surprise. Um, I was trying to pick from from some current and some favorites. So um, I picked Amanda or Emily from Revenge. Um, and Revenge is sort of a soap opera drama. <laughs> yeah, it's another show I don't watch. Is that another CW show? Um, it's not. I think I think it's ABC, actually. Oh, okay. I think, but I'm not sure about that because I'm really bad with networks. I watch everything on Hulu, so I don't I don't tend to to uh, follow which networks things are on very very well. Um, but it's an a, a, interestingly enough, Once Upon a Time and Revenge are both on the same nights, so they usually end up in my um, Hulu queue on the same on the same days. <laughs> but um, Amanda slash Emily um, again, dual identities, kind of a, a theme running here with my characters today. Oh yeah, which I just noticed (laughs) um is the lead character of revenge and she is trying to right uh sort of wrongs that have been done against her father in particular and her family um and uh is essentially trained as a ninja slash assassin and has oh really (laughs) oh oh, i didn't know any of this okay it's taken on a whole Mm. new (laughs) <laughs> a whole new vision. Yes, and, and that's I slow thought. to build as well. It's another show that took, uh, the first few episodes I was kind of, meh, I'm not sure, really sure about this. And then once it got into the point where I could see, I could see the power that she was wielding and that it wasn't, I mean, I mean her, I mean, the show's titled Revenge. You get the idea that she's, you know, she's running from this place of avenging, you know, what's happened to her family and to her father. And where I, I have a really hard time with with that in terms of uh, uh, karma, <laughs> you know, I right. don't self-identify with that part of her, but she's a really interesting character and she's developed a lot more depth, especially in the second season that's on now than she did in the first season. She was kind of flat Although she did pick up once she started having the ass kicking going on, um, which I'm sure Rhonda you'd really enjoy if you could get <laughs> some of those scenes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's beginning to take on kind of a Nikita kind oh, of character. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, so very, very, very oh, wow. similar. A lot of sort of uh, parallels between Nikita and, um, you know, sort of picked up by a, an, an older mentor and, you know, placed in a position to learn and to be trained and in in honorable um honorable uh, missions where when we, we just saw a background scene that that sort of demonstrated that it, it hasn't always been about just her revenge plot, which, again, as I said, gave her a little bit more depth and a little bit more um, um, engagement, you know, as a character. So. So why does she appeal to you? Um, it's her her mastery of of not just physicality as a as a ass kicker but also as a social manipulator because she can just play everybody and i can appreciate that it's not a skill that i i have or that i desire to have necessarily but i can stand back and i can watch that sort of um Similar okay. to Iago in Othello, that the character who can yeah. find people's weaknesses and play them and manipulate and move them, you know, like they want to. I can appreciate those characters. They've always been my my favorite kind of bad guys. And because she is the hero, I mean, hero, quote unquote, of the, sh- of the show, but she's not 
you know, like I said, heroes generally have a heart of gold and are acting for a good oh, cause. Yeah. <laughs> she's kind of blurring those lines there, not just a little bit, <laughs> but quite yeah. a bit. And I love characters that sort of push the boundaries of what we expect of one type of hero. That's another reason why I'm loving um, Once Upon a Time right now. So, yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to go with, um, for my next one, another kind of obvious one is Sarah Connor. Um, and especially with her also in uh, Terminator 2. You seem to like sequels. Um, well, <laughs> Terminator is also my other favorite uh, sci-fi series. So, um, And I'm, I'm shameless. I like them all. So <laughs> even the ones people say should have never been made, I like all the Terminator movies. <laughs> Not with a few um, guilty pleasures. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what I like is, I mean, in... In the first Terminator, basically, Sarah is is a victim the entire time. She's being taught. She's being trained. In Terminator 2, she has complete and unwavering convictions. Mm-hmm. She has a deep, set belief that she holds on to despite the fact that the society and the systems around her convict her mm-hmm. for it. Not only convict her, but they just flat out don't right. believe Yeah, her. they dismiss her. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. completely. She's the only one that has witnessed this. Right. And at the same time, she is not only feeling the weight of saving the world, but she's feeling the weight of saving her mm-hmm. son. So there is that other strong maternal right. instinct in there that takes on this power and this courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember... Um, one time being in a, a, a group we were socializing with and talking about one of my absolute favorite scenes was at the end of Terminator 2 when the Terminator has uh, pierced her shoulder and, and completely disabled one of her arms, but she takes a shotgun in her other hand and cocks it one-handed and shoots at the guy and she cocks it. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. And... Sure enough, the, the my favorite scenes in the movie are also the opening scenes when she is uh, in the asylum. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And in the process. Yeah, sorry. They're, they're just beautiful yeah. scenes of her level of intelligence, mm-hmm. of her cunning. And also you begin you begin to see what she is truly afraid yeah. of because she doesn't seem to have any problems going toe to toe with anybody. No. Charging into any facility or, or doing whatever needs to take place, but you do see the moments where she encounters her absolute worst right. fears, uh, and it, it it's just terrifying. And you're just wanting to grab hold of her and saying, "You, you can do this. You can go on. You can." Do <laughs> you're this. cheering her on from the from your couch or wherever yeah. you're watching. <laughs> but I'm I admire her strength and and her right. Convictions. Again, we're seeing that as sort of a theme that's that's emerging from our um, our heroes as well. Because I could say the same thing about um, Amanda slash Emily from Revenge, of you know definitely following through on her convictions as um, you'll found it to say maybe at times. <laughs> yeah, I love I. Well, your next one, your next one is one I'm almost. Like, oh, crap. <laughs> I was really surprised it wasn't on your list, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could I could spend days and days and completely rework the list, and be it would be different. Yeah, tomorrow. yeah. I, 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 well, there's some things that would stay consistent for me because there's some that I just, I just absolutely can't let go of, but. Um, this this character. So my next character is Zoe from Firefly. Oh, she's so awesome. <laughs> and in terms of uh, embodiments of the female warrior, I think Zoe is one of the best written, best acted, best directed uh, female characters that's ever existed. Um, props to you know any Waden fans out there, which I know you yeah. <laughs> more than a few probably. Uh, and she's, she's gorgeous. gorgeous. She's absolutely spectacular on so many levels. Um, and I, I actually had a hard time. I started thinking about Firefly. I almost picked multiple characters from Firefly because <laughs> in one way or another, all of the female characters in Firefly are fantastic. Yes. Um, even including yeah. um, Christ- Christina Hendricks as um, um, Mal's would-be wife um, from Our Mrs. Reynolds. 
uh, yeah. episode, even even her character is still as as um, <laughs> difficult. She's she, vicious. She is vicious, man. absolutely. But but so beautifully written and again well acted. Um, so you know, really great characters. But I've always been attracted to Zoe because she is the personification of uh, two of two things: of female, you know, warriorship. You know, just you know, be able to stand there and, and take whatever comes her way. Um, able to make the decisions to protect not just herself but her uh, her crew and her um, her army, so to speak. Um, one of my favorite scenes of hers is when um, Mel and Wash are being tortured. <laughs> 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 and uh, oh God, I can't think of his name. Oh, the bad guy uh, says, "Oh, well, now you have a dilemma. You have to pick who you're going to save." And she, before he even finishes, she's like, "I pick him." Okay, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wash and uh, you know leaves the captain behind, and um, that again, that conviction, that drive, um, and does it you know beautifully and uh, uh, so powerfully. And she's also the perfect uh, first mate or um, number one or how to put yes. she is she's really that that person too who she balances mal and and gives him that sort of steady hand that he needs in his sort of righteous lawful good that he runs on um actually he might not be lawful good he might be a little bit more of chaotic good <laughs> she's lawful yeah. good he would be chaotic good so yeah, yeah. anyway you know, I I really, really respect the character of Zoe, but I think I identify with her more. Um, I, if I were to be a character in Firefly, if you had to do a personality test, I'd probably be Zoe. And so if I were to probably stick a Firefly female on my list, it would probably be Kate. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a character I don't feel like I can be. Oh, interesting. But she is... She she's a contradiction. I mean, she's the engineer. It just comes natural, and she's sweet as pie. Right, and she she is a, a representation. If um, Zoe's a representation, sort of of the fierce feminine, uh, Kaylee would be a representation of sort of the soft feminine or the sort of our more traditional feminine values in a very non-traditional role, which is a yeah. fantastic. The engineer is sort of this earth-loving, you know, grounded. <laughs> But she she really appreciates beauty and all the culture that's around her and very nice things. But at the same, and she's very very comfortable with her sexuality, um, and at the same time, she's like this genius mechanic. Exactly, she, it's an interesting balance of everybody likes exactly, her you know? exactly, um, and she also has that same quality that. Snow White has in terms of mm-hmm. that uh, just good, sweet, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like you said, well-respected or, you know, well-loved character where you just, you know, you just want to hug her. <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't have a mean bone in her body. No. I mean, she thinks the best of others and, and she wants the best for everybody. She, you know? she was, she was my second, my second choice for this list. I was, I was very much debating that, but I didn't have another sort of, super warrior that I put on here other than other than Zoe. So I needed to have that fear. That yeah, fear she's yeah, represented. So who's your next one? Well, my last two are probably the most well-rounded characters and the ones that had an emotional appeal to me very specifically. Um, and besides, you know, just feeling sorry and tragic about Elizabeth and stuff like that. But, but the, these last two characters, um, this one Trinity from the matrix to me had so many aspects that what number one, well-rounded her, but I had, she also had spirituality mm-hmm. and romance. Mm-hmm. You could, she opens up in, in a fight, an absolute kick-ass fight that she takes on. She doesn't want to do it, but she does what has to be done. She does it strategically and she does it precisely. Mm-hmm. You can depend on her for that. But at the same time, she is the, um, not the spiritual backbone, but she sort of completes the spiritual identity of the yes. ship. And at the same time, she p- brings in romance to the cause mm-hmm. that, 
that does not weaken right. her. It actually strengthens right. her. It strengthens strengthens her resolve. It strengthens her beliefs. And I, the, the idea of uh, maternal instincts, uh, romance, or spirituality ever being seen as weaknesses is mm-hmm, ridiculous. Absolutely. And I see all of things, these things in Trinity, besides the fact that she knows how to wield mm-hmm. a gun and somebody. In the <laughs> it's just, I, I loved every, every bit of that. There's absolute chaos and end of the world stuff going on mm-hmm. around her right. head. And she's like, you know, I'm not scared anymore because I believe and I am in right. love. Right. And this. And so everything's. Everything's going to work out right. somehow because, and it and it ends up being the complete grounding force for her. A- absolutely, yeah. and it's it's the force she's been waiting right. on, and <clears throat> she doesn't she doesn't express it a lot. I think because it it's not very well understood or well mm-hmm. received. She doesn't express that, you know, I am waiting to fall in love to prove my convictions and my my beliefs. Right. Um, that's not, that doesn't gel with everybody. And in fact, spirituality is extremely personal. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a personal private mm-hmm. thing. And how you process that, how she processed, processed it was different than how, um, Morpheus process, Morpheus, yes. is it Morpheus? Morpheus? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, suddenly it's <laughs> entirely different the way he processed although he was as spiritual mm-hmm. and sort of the spiritual leader and more open about right. that which so all of these things that are are typically considered weaknesses yes. are shown as uh, her courage the base of her courage and yeah. her strength and that's again another another theme that we're seeing sort of emerge from um the characters that you're talking about uh the last three, you, you've had that same that same sort of idea come up for Sarah Connor and for Ripley, as well, where the things that, or because of, perhaps maybe not because of their gender, but but the assumptions around uh, the female gender yes. is that you're naturally going to be weaker, and the things that are going to make you weaker are are love and other different you know emotions. And if you were to talk to my therapist, she'd explain to you why. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully enough, my PhD is actually not in psychology, so I'm not going to go into that for you. I mean, we, we, won't, we won't delve into that, but people can speculate. <laughs> okay, this is your so last, my last one. one um, this was a no-brainer for me. This character had to be the, the, the last and sort of the top of, of all of the characters for me, um, pretty much ever, female female heroes, uh, would be Buffy from, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So um, she's just, she's my girl. <laughs> yeah, see, I, she... I love, love, love mm-hmm. the show because it was just well written. But I just don't identify with Buffy. Yeah, there there are great amounts of time that I don't generally identify with her either. Um, she would actually take the sort of righteous belief in herself that I've talked about in some of the other characters to mm-hmm. to an extreme that I can't always agree with. Um, and. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but what I think was beautiful about the way the show evolved and some of the themes that they were actively taking on in the later seasons. Well, let me back up a little bit. When I first watched this series, I love season five. I love when she goes up against Glory. I think, and I still think that's some of the best storytelling that they did in Buffy. And I didn't like season six because I thought the heroes, the nerd heroes were, or the nerd villains were, were kind of problematic for me. Um, and I originally had a really sort of dismissive feeling about season seven with all the, um, um, potential slayers oh, because that's, yeah. you know, to be honest, some of the acting in that is pretty atrocious. <laughs> however as I sort of as I grew up a little bit more and I I rewatched it I started to appreciate more what happens to Buffy in that season where she has been for the majority of the seasons the one person to run and rescue and be this hero 
she finally comes to the point in season seven where she has to, she's forced, her hand is forced to accept help and to work as a team. And had that not happened and had she not gone through that kind of transformation, she wouldn't be on the top of my list. (laughs) But because she was forced into it and she was forced into fighting a situation where she had so much evil she needed to battle that she couldn't do it on her own, then that gave Mm -hmm. her the kind of depth and rounding that um, I could kind of identify with. Yeah, I think that's that plays into why she doesn't appeal to me, and that is because she is special. Right. She innately has these special powers and these special abilities because she was born with it. And that that type of thing just does not appear on my list right. at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. And and she for from the majority of the the series takes that as you know as the only credential that she needs you know I'm a player and yes. I'm a person who needs to run this and that's like I said it took me a while to grow into her even growing into putting her you know at the top of my list because I had to start to see that breakdown as not breaking down who she was but instead rounding her out and making her a more believable character None of us yeah. get through life completely on our own, <laughs> Slayer or no Slayer. And that's one of the reasons why the Slayers have, you know, sort of the stories that they have. Um, but she she does finally come to accept that. And the very end of the show where she sort of smiles at the end of it when they've been successful as a team and as a group. And she now has this powerful group of allies. I see as sort of the perfect end to what could have been. Mm, yeah. that could have ended up being very shallow and not being that and then right so much more and and contributing so much more so yeah yeah i'm i'm thinking back on on my list and i think everybody except for um for lisbeth they are are women who worked well on a team absolutely yep yep and but they they didn't do it completely on no their they own. didn't do it completely on their own but they were also Excuse me. They were also leaders as well, though. Oh, yeah. They they were pivotal. Um, it was significant that they be a part of it. It would not have been successful without them. But that's the whole idea of the whole, you know, a complete team. Yeah, they needed to all work together. All right. So who who who's your last pick? Yeah, it would not matter how long I worked on this list. This person would be at the top. Yeah, I would have put um, her on my list, to be fair, if she wasn't already on the top of yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have shown you my list. Um, yeah, you and I have talked about her before. It's Eowyn from book two and three of the Lord of the Rings series. And I don't even remember whether I've told the story on the show or not before. I don't want to bore the listeners. But the very first time I read book three and the scene where Eowyn goes into battle and the witch king, she's standing over the king's body who he's been struck down and the witch king is going to kill him. And she stands over him is going to protect him. And I'm just like, Oh, this is so fantastic. She is fighting like any other knight from her country would be. And that is protect your king. And the witch king looks at her and says, you know, you're a fool. Don't you know that it is written? No man can kill me. And she rips off that helmet and she says, I am no Mm -hmm. man. And I'm in the middle of Starbucks reading this and I want to jump straight up in the air and go, hell yeah. (laughs) The emotion and the, I mean, chills and everything there, there is no better definition of literature Mm -hmm. to me. And, having that type of reaction and, and knowing a character and, Oh boy, I wish there was, there was more of her in the story, but what was there was very well defined. You knew her position, you knew her sadness, you knew her desires, um, and you knew her love and her, her lost love, um, her passion for her country and for her King and for her people. Again, very, very maternal, very spiritual and at the same time wanting 
some venue to express right, it. Right. And 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 not it, being able to or being told she can't or, you know. Well, you stay here. We need you to stay yeah. here and protect the people and take them into right. hiding if things go bad. And she's like, I, I, I right, can't do right. that. I've got to have an expression. Again, driven completely by her convictions, even in, in the light of the fact that no one around is supporting the decision that she's making. Yeah. And not not to say anything bad about uh, Peter Jackson's version of, of the uh, Return of the King, where this scene happens, mm-hmm. and whether or not it's just the first time experience, but I did not feel the same way when I saw the movie. And again, to me, I think that just says a lot about the literature. Yeah, and and I I think, you know, there's there's only so much you can do with when you're making an adaptation of a, a you know, tr- I don't use this word very often, an epic story like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I think Peter Jackson did a did a fantastic job adapting oh, them. One. But she is one of those characters where she didn't have a lot in the book. And you no. kind of miss some big chunks of who she is with the scenes that they do give. She she doesn't come across quite as well-rounded as she does in, in the books. The actress was good. The um, the choice oh, of the actress was absolutely. really good. She was a great representation. Yeah, she, she was she was fantastic. Um, I have to I have to brag just a little bit because I don't even know if you know this, but when I went to New Zealand, that I went on a I went on several. Yeah, I went to New Zealand. <laughs> Uh, three, two or three years ago now, I actually went to a professional conference there. Oh my God. And, um, yeah, and we did, oh, four, four Lord of the Rings tours, I think. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, Hobbiton is actually pretty close to, um, to Hamilton, which is the big city where, well, quote unquote, big city where the conference was that I went to. Um, It was like an hour's drive from there. And it's a sheep farm. And I actually got to see the set for The Hobbit um, at that time because they were actually getting ready to film it. Um, So we were allowed to take pictures, but we weren't allowed to post them at all because they didn't want us uh, revealing the set. And you actually had to sign a waiver that said you wouldn't be publishing any of the pictures you took. and uh, but my favorite and the one that I felt the tour that I felt marked me as a true Lord of the Rings okay. fan was um, the one where we actually went to the mountain where they filmed. Um, oh, God, and I'm blanking on the name of the city. What's what's the horse capital? Rowan? Yes. Yeah. Rohan. Yeah. The writers of Rohan. Uh, yeah. They're yeah. That the town it was filmed on this like crevice in the middle of nowhere, New Zealand. Hmm. And so we took a three hour uh, bus ride out to this location <laughs> oh, wow. to actually go. I mean, it was like a seven hour tour with the, the time. And we hiked a mile up to the top of the hill to stand where the buildings were. And I actually have a picture of myself standing in the exact location Eowyn was standing at when the flag flew off the flagpole. Mm. And wow. so I, I have a picture of myself standing there. You, you can kind of see where it is because of the, the background. But um, that was my sort of uh, one of the crowning sort of achievements of that trip was being able to to go. And they had replicas of the swords and you could stand up and, and the flags and different things. And we could actually take those and took a bunch of pictures with all those things. So. You, you do realize that's like a trump card of, <laughs> I mean, no one can ever question your geek cred. No, that was, that was some pretty hardcore, uh, hardcore, uh, geekdom right there. And, um, we, we yeah. actually, and they, they actually serve you lunch after you do the hike. You did, and it's really windy. Like sometimes they can't actually take you up to the top of the hill because of the location. Um, cause it is literally like miles of nothing flat. And then this little, you know, tiny hill in the middle of, no, of nowhere, but we had a beautiful day and it wasn't windy. And he was telling us a story that Peter Jackson actually got blown off the edge of the hill at one point in time. Oh and God. luckily enough, there was a there was a landing. He only fell like ten feet, but he still got knocked like on his back off the top of it. That's how windy it gets up there. So after they they take you back and they actually serve like a champagne lunch to everybody, and um, they have all this replica material, uh, like swords, and they have Gimli's axe. And I look, and there is hanging on the wall this fabric, 
and I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's a cape. That's one of the capes that were, you know, gifted to the fellowship from the elves. I'm like, that's what that is. And so I go over and I grab it and I put it on and I grab Gimli's axe and I'm having my picture taken. And the (laughs) tour guide looks over and he's like, now that is a true believer because very few people walk in here and recognize that that's a cape. (laughs) See, Trump card. (laughs) Trump card. And well, the only other thing I would say about Eowyn is that you cannot tell Lord of the Rings story without no, her. No, you can't because the that whole scene wouldn't be able to happen. So, she's yeah. That, I mean, it's it's pivotal. It's pivotal to the war. It's pivotal to um, that third book. Um, th- th- there's no way, even you know someone making a film, Peter Jackson doing the movie, to leave Eowyn out. Even though she's a small character, um, she's essential. Yeah, and that that scene I love. Even, you know, I can understand how it might not have had the same... um, it might ha- have rung as true for you, uh, having read the having read the books, and I, I knew it was coming, but I still remember the visceral reaction I had to it when I watched in in the theater. Now I I can't watch the third movie without crying like half a dozen times through throughout it. <laughs> Reasons, but um, that scene always just made me like tears of joy pouring down my face when she stands up and says, "No <sighs> man," and it's like, "Well, screw you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that took so much courage. It, did, it really did. So, so if we want to sort of think a little bit about our our gamer types and how they apply to these characters, Rhonda, what do you think is sort of going on for you with some of these characters? Well, I was I was actually kind of surprised because I thought it would be really easy to go back and look because I am mostly a self player. I have some mastery. Um, I probably, you know, got sprinklings of role player in there, but it's, it's, it's not prominent. It's, it's not a dominant characteristics. Um, it, depending on the game that I'm playing, it usually will play out self or mastery. So it kind of got cloudy because when I start looking at the aspects you've laid out in your dissertation about what involves a role player, self player, mm-hmm. My first three characters, Lisbeth, Ripley, and Sarah Connor, uh, are not self. They're actually role player types to me because they, I think the dominant dominant characteristic is whether or not that I identify with their backstory or I relate to them or I... I see them as an alternative identity. It's a, it's an identity I respect and that I like to put on and play right. with. Um, versus you don't want to be them. The, mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I respect Lisbeth. I really, you know, I've got very little in common with her. The same with Ripley and the same with Sarah mm-hmm. Connor. I also see them as, um, especially Sarah Connor, as a, a little more shallow character not not right not having quite the same depth right and they also are the three characters that i really didn't have an emotional response to whereas trinity and eowyn i did have an emotional response to i do see more spirituality and romance Mm -hmm. with them and when i look at the self-characteristics they they are strong for me as far as self is concerned. I see myself as that person. I can identify with their beliefs, with their feelings and with their position. It's not that I just want to pretend to be them. It's, I feel akin. Right. Right. You can see the, the, if we talk about self players as being the idealized self, you can see idealized parts of yourself in those characters. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. That's the word. Yeah, exactly. Well, I would say for 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 the idealized self for me, you know, there's quite a few few of these characters that I identify with personally. Um, Princess Leia and Snow White are the, the first two that sort of stand out for me as they're the kinds of characters that I see an idealized version of myself in their actions and their choices and what they do. Uh, Snow White from once upon a time, I do. <laughs> Let us clarify. <laughs> yeah. I find for both, actually for all three of the others, for Amanda slash Emily from Revenge and Zoe and Buffy, 
I think I identify most with their mastery, with them as masters of their own crafts and what they do. Yeah, I not being as familiar with the material, I've tried to mm-hmm. learn along the way from reading your dissertation and participating and trying to understand the self and mastery. Right. And I had a hard time applying those characteristics of mastery and figuring out well, whether my characters fell into that I can actually see, not. I actually probably took some notes while you were talking because I, I saw some mastery coming out in your descriptions of both Ripley and Sarah Connor. Uh, with Ripley, you were talking about, especially you're talking about aliens. You know, she's a noob in alien, right? And yes. she is a master in aliens. And she yeah, has mastered definitely. her power as a warrior in aliens and and embraced her femininity at the same time. And so those two things, I think, are, are leaning toward mastery um, in terms of how she approaches the situation and the power and the abilities that she has. Yeah, um, I, I, I totally agree. And and what appeals to me a lot of ways about Lisbeth is the same mm-hmm. thing. She, w- by the time that we we start Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, the very first mm-hmm. one, she's already a Right, master. right. Well, she's already been through so much and she has so much history that's already happened that she's already sort of come through that. But I think, and that's one of the reasons why when we were talking, I pointed out that um, you picked Aliens and Terminator 2 as yeah. both your as both your things, I think those are both mastery things because that scene in the asylum with Sarah Connor, where she's working out and she's, you know, she's becoming the the warrior, is is her demonstration of her mastery, where yeah. she is she is embodying that again as Ripley did too, and so I think that your draw to their second pieces of their story shows shows a draw toward mastery. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool exercise. I, I I was really curious as to what, you know, these things had to do, our choices, these are personal choices and obviously for personal right. reasons, how they tied into our identity and and then back to the definitions that you've, you established. Right. And, and one of the things I think um, is really interesting about doing this process and about taking this step with, with these categories is I didn't know the life that they were going to take on <laughs> when I first identified them in the research. And, you know, I'm the first step really of them coming to life was, is thanks to you, Rhonda, with the icons that you created for them. Um, oh, really, yeah. you know, sort of taking them out of just the page and having, you know, the icons for for the different categories. Um, but to, to I do think they are the kinds of things that we we are looking at in ourselves and how it plays out in our characters, how that plays out in our games and all that just ties back to the main idea of why I wrote the dissertation, why I did this topic in the first place, which was that identity is so inherently complex and complicated and engaging and far more different than we often want to give it credit for. And so this just sort of adds to the depth of that analysis and that engagement. And I couldn't ask for more from us. No. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we would love to hear about your list of ass kickers. Um, we could go on and on and on. Like I said, we could probably rewrite the list. We might have to do another episode with uh, game characters. (laughs) And and maybe, and maybe define some more parameters to make it uh, even more strict, but still, I think that maybe make your list of ass kickers and take a look at your gamer type and see if you find any similarities or any surprises share that with us. We'd love to hear about it. And you can leave your comments on our website. We're on Twitter and we're on Facebook. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm the co-host Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. Or you can read my tech blog at droolonthefrog.com. You can email me at Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. We'd really love, love, love to hear uh, your comments about our heroes or, you know, lists or information about your heroes, your favorite um, ass kickers yourself. Because, come on, you know, everybody loves an ass kicking chick. (laughs) 
Uh, please leave comments on the website, GameOnGirl.com, or you can catch me or Rhonda on Twitter as well. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with, the sh- with references to the show and probably some pictures from the show, uh, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast was edited with Audacity, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening, and until next time, game on. Game on.